You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. wants to speak to you, and uh, we're glad that you're, you're here to, uh, to uh, worship with us and to celebrate his presence. So we are... Uh, starting, as, as uh, David mentioned, we're starting a new series uh, this morning uh, that is going to be uh, f- uh, five, at least five, diff- five uh, weeks in, uh, in this, and it's on our mission and our vision. Um, <clears throat> we got a PowerPoint for that? There we go. Um, and if you've been here for any length of time, you know that our mission statement or vision statement is uh, um, uh, spelled out with T-R-A-C-K, standing for, um, I'll get to it in a second. Touching lives, reaching families, affecting our city, changing our world with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, we used to have these uh, hanging on the wall in here. And... We're going to restore them since we, have our, we don't have to have a neutral sanctuary uh, anymore. So this week we're talking about uh, touching lives. And uh, it's the, as I said, it's the first of, uh, of the series. Um, last week we, uh, we talked a little bit about the Lord's Prayer, uh, especially one particular um, verse of the Lord's Prayer. And that was uh, your kingdom come. Um, and uh, in our small group, we were talking about. Um, I mean, some sometimes we don't really think about the individual things that we're praying when we pray the Lord's prayer. But the Lord's prayer is literally being prayed constantly all over the globe, thousands, probably millions of times a day or a week. Um, and people are saying that your kingdom come, your will be done. And so the question is, what, are we, what does that mean? Like, what does it look like when the kingdom of God comes? What are we asking for? Because we keep asking for it over and over again. And I think he seriously takes us at our word. That when we say, your kingdom come, that he says, yes, that's what I want to do, and I'm going to do that. But today, when we're talking about touching lives, uh, we're talking about the part that that flows directly into, and that is, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God's intention for us is to bring the kingdom of God, the shalom of God, that's what he's after, shalom. He's, he's after that reconciliation between man and God and between people. That's what he's intending for us to do. So his will is for us to touch lives with the good news of Jesus Christ and that, our, that his will would be done here on earth as it is uh, in heaven. Um, Matthew 25, 40, I don't know if it made it. Don't you love this? I did all this. <laughs> it's, a, it's a question of whether it's a distraction or whether it's, but it was fun to do, so. Um, and the king will answer truly, uh, answer to them, uh, truly I say to you, it, Uh, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. That's what we're, that's our motivation, is that we know that we are, uh, we are compelled to, to be involved in people's lives, to touch people's lives um, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, it's not like um, we're touching people's lives with, um, uh, with some, you know, uh, formula. Or something like that. We're, we're touching people's lives by touching them with our life. Touching them with our presence. Touching them with our comfort and our, what, what God has put within us and we're spreading it um, to others. Uh, Jesus gave each one of us a mission personally. And I hope you understand what your mission is. Or at least you're growing in your understanding of what your mission is. It's not necessarily what we do, but it's who you are in Christ. And I hope you're growing in that. But see, God also has a mission for us corporately and that he wants us together to do. He wants to create um, in, the, in the midst of his people 
a, um, a culture uh, that, that engages the culture. He wants, to, he wants to create here a positive peer pressure. He wants us to conduct ourselves here in a way that is contagious as it goes out, that encourages us. Like when we come together this morning, you know, the prophetic word and the exhortation um, is, is not without purpose. There's, God's looking at our hearts this morning, and he's seeing where we are, you know? And it, he's responding to that. And what he's responding to is broken lives that have been mended by Christ. He's, he's, he's responding to, maybe you felt it, dry bones, that he says he wants to not just make flesh, but breathe life into. And that's what we're... That's what we're about. So if we pray, your kingdom come, um, it's, uh, it's not only is it uh, wrong to not say, I want to do where you go, I will go. It's not only wrong, it is, it's uh, foolish, it's crazy to say your kingdom come and then not expect that we have a purpose and a plan that God has given us. So when we do this, like every week we'll talk about uh, a different aspect of our mission um, statement, and then I'm going to do a, just a mini interview with people. We have people here in our church that are involved in all of the different aspects of it, some people from our community that every week you'll have a chance to hear from, uh, from them. So at the end of uh, my message, uh, I'm going to do a little uh, interview with Doreen uh, Haig, who is uh, the director of the... Um, uh, Pregnancy Resources Center, is that right, Dory? Pregnancy Resource Center um, here in Tyler. So we'll be hearing from her in a few minutes. Here's the challenge. Today there is a greater need for the gospel to be spread, for us to engage our culture and to reach out to people, and there's less willingness. And this is based on uh, research. Um, uh, most of you guys are familiar with uh, Barna's uh, group's uh, research. Uh, when Barna first came out with uh, uh, research on uh, the church uh, and the state of the church, um, a lot of people were really kind of shocked by it because we kind of live in a little bit of a bubble and we kind of think that, you know, things are going well and everything is, um, you know, progressing. And, and they did some hard number research. They did some... Um, some uh, interviews, um, some surveys, and things like that. And what they found, and this was, uh, this was probably in the early 80s when they first started uh, putting these, um, these numbers out. Um, and what they were finding is there was a, tr a downward trend uh, in church, and in church attendance, in people who were professing Christians, um, just across the board, in the United States mainly. That's where their research is, is mainly uh, uh, focused. Um, it clearly showed that each generation, and so that would be like Gen X, um, Millennials, uh, Gen Z, I think is the latest one, um, but it, the trend is generally downward, um, that, there is, uh, that each generation is less involved in, in church, attending church and in identifying as Christians um, than the previous one. But there's also research shown by the Lutheran Hour. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Lutheran Hour, but they're a, they're a pretty good group uh, of solid uh, believers, long track record. Um, and they did some uh, research, um, and this was concerning the church. And what they, have found, what they found in their research is that since 1993, the number of Christians who said, I believe every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith that the, the number of people since 1993 who say that has dropped precipitously. So at the same time that there is greater need, there is less willingness on the church's part to actually engage in the culture. And there's a lot of reasons for this. One of the main reasons for this is that we have more and more become um, uh, involved in, I should say, I, I guess, um, virtual communities instead of actual communities. Uh, instead of having actual conversations with people, uh, we have virtual conversations with people. And one of the problems with that is an actual conversation is a, is a touching of a person's life to another person's life. 
you're seeing the person, you're hearing the person, you're interacting with the person, and, you're, and we, that's what God created us for, you guys. He created us to be in relationships. But these virtual relationships are, are far um, inferior to actual relationships. Okay? So I know this may sound a little bit uh, dry to you, but I'm laying a, a foundation for something because God has purpose for us and he has, he has a, uh, a plan for us. And, and we are, we're plugging into that. We're listening to what he has to say. All I'm saying is, is that there's a real challenge today compared to previous generations. It's more difficult um, to, uh, to share. One of the things that has happened, and there's several different things that have happened that make it more difficult um, for us to share the gospel. For one thing, um, it's more complicated. There are less moral absolutes. So that when I'm, sh- when I'm talking to somebody, and we all know how this is, we have people in our lives uh, that are living lifestyles um, that lead to uh, death and lead to destruction. And our heart goes out to them. You see, we, we say that. But, they, but previous generations had at least some um, consensus on uh, morality, on a moral, um, moral basis. And that's really becoming less and less common for people to have a common um, moral um, uh, absolute. Belief in a personal God. Belief in the reality of sin. These are all things that in, the, in previous generations had just been givens. They had been common ground, and they are less and less so for us. Respect for the Bible. It's more difficult. Christianity has gotten a bad name. Every time a Christian leader falls, Jesus said you strike the shepherd and the sheep are, sh- are scattered. Every time a leader falls, it doesn't just affect them. It affects many, many people, and it affects the reputation of Christianity itself. More and more people are saying, it's not for me. Let me, let me dig into this just a little bit, okay? When you talk to your friends who would not identify as Christians, what are their objections to Christianity? What, what will they say is their objection to Christianity? One of the main things that they're going to say is their objection to Christianity is our um, view of traditional values, our view of sexuality, our view of uh, what God's purpose is for our lives. And they see that as being judgmental. They look at the history of the church. They look at the holy wars that were done in Jesus' name, in the name of Christianity. They look at the church's either inactivity or support for slavery in our country. And even in my youth, there were people who were justifying um, just blatant um, uh, hatred for other races based on Scripture. God help us. They see religious people involved in politics and business who act in ways that are contradictory to the basic teachings of Christ. And all of these things make them say, it's not for me. I'm not interested in it. There's a lack of sensitivity that's come into our, our culture. Um, ex- some extreme judgmentalism. And I'm not saying that it's the church. I'm saying our culture has no concept of forgiveness. When somebody has said something, even when they come back and say that they're sorry for it, there is no, no recourse. That person is branded, it is, they are... Um, they are labeled, and it's almost impossible to escape it. That's the culture that we live in now. It's becoming more and more uh, intolerant. It helps greatly if we realize that we ourselves are the least of these. 
It helps greatly if we approach what God has called us to do with humility. Are you with me? I'm not trying to paint a black picture for you today. I'm just trying to be realistic. There's a lack of courage. People are afraid. People are afraid to reach out. People are afraid to speak up. People are afraid more and more. And, I mean, if you look at the effect that, that it's having on our communities and on our, 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 our culture and on our businesses and on our schools and everything else, it's a fracturing of people. It's a dividing along economic lines or racial lines or denominational lines or whatever. And who divides? The devil. The devil divides. And God wants to bring people together. There's a lack of courage. And finally, there's an indifference. And I just want to talk for just a second about our virtual world. Um, I started, uh, I, I got on Twitter, uh, it's probably been 10 years. Do you know, remember how, how far back it was? About 2008. Um, it was a brand new thing. Um, there was a, there's a guy that just kind of recommended uh, this on his website, and I went to Twitter. And I think Caleb and I may have gotten on um, at basically about the same time. And actually, when I got on it, I wasn't even sure what it was or you know what what it was for or anything like that. I still don't really know for sure what it is or what it's for. Um, but I had been on it for about a year, and um, this. Uh, the people that I was, you know, following or friends with uh, in Tyler decided to have a tweet up. Do you remember this? They decided to have a tweet up because we just kind of thought we had this kind of virtual relationship with people, and so we were going to meet. So we met at the Starbucks on Shiloh Road, and it was about the most awkward meet up that I have ever been a part of. And I, and I realized that I can have a relationship with somebody in a virtual way and be very uncomfortable with that person personally. Okay? Why? Because I don't really know them. I know what their opinions are about stuff. Listen, I know where they've been. I know who their family is. I know what, you know, their successes and failures. Listen, if the, if the woman at the well story happened today, and like Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, you know what she would think? She would think he'd been on her Facebook page. You've been married five times, and the one that you're married to now is not yours. It wouldn't be a miracle. It would be an invasion. It would be meddling in somebody's business. And yet we do this all the time. Have you ever gotten in, involved in a conversation with somebody, and they can tell you where you went on vacation last year, and they can ask you, like, they know so much about you, and you haven't told them any of this stuff. A few years ago, I shared with the congregation how concerned I was about people, and this was a few years ago, you'll see how dated this is, um, people that were um, watching this 24-hour news, you know, just had it going all the time. And what's the problem with that? The problem with it is it desensitizes us. Because when I have a burden, like Jonathan is talking about, when there's a burden, what are we supposed to do with that burden? We're supposed to pray. We're supposed to care. We're supposed to reach out. And yet we're watching 24 hours of news that has to keep your attention, and it's a, most of it is bad news, and it's just putting a burden on people. Further, it makes us a bunch of voyeurs. We're looking into people's houses and homes and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and living rooms. And we're just, we're observing things that is really not our business. And it desensitizes us. And it makes us see people not as humans and not with compassion, but in some other way. And again, I don't even really know what that way is. And I'm not, I'm not just like being an old grandpa, you know, ranting and raving about, you know, Facebook. I'm seriously concerned that we are losing our ability to have honest, real relationships. And some of these uh, uh, reasons 
um, are, are things that we can't do anything about. Some of them we can, and we have to do something about. We had a Super Bowl party here, uh, and again, it's probably been 10 years or more. Uh, and we set up a screen in the fellowship hall, and uh, had about 15 guys, you know, came, and, uh, and we were watching the Super Bowl, and uh, a guy got injured, and we paused and prayed for him. That may seem kooky to you, but what should we do? Should we just go get some chips while they take the guy off the field? Well, we paused and we prayed for the guy. And I realized at the time how crazy that might seem to somebody. Like if you went to work the next day and they were asking you about the Super Bowl and, and you said, yeah, I was watching it with guys and we prayed for, you know, so-and-so that got, got injured. How kooky that would be. Why? Because that's a world that we're observing, but we're not really involved in it. We're getting a burden on us. We're, we're, we're exposing ourselves to suffering and sorrow, but we're not actually able to do anything with it. But we can do something with it. We can be careful about what we expose ourselves to, and we can make it a, uh, uh, make it a priority to be responsive to people instead of just ob- observing people. Tim Keller says, Um, talking about evangelism, that training can be helpful, but ultimately evangelism is about being bold enough to have difficult conversations and sensitive in our interactions with others. And when I'm talking about evangelism, when I'm talking about uh, touching lives, evangelism is not just getting somebody saved. Okay? Do you hear me? Greatest evangelist that we have had in our generation is Billy Graham. And when you look at a Billy Graham crusade and you see those people walk in the aisles, a vast majority of them are believers. Billy Graham's ministry was not just to bring something, somebody from darkness to light, but to help people take a step closer in. And that's what evangelism is. I don't care where you are in your relationship with God. My effect, my influence on you should be one that helps you to take a step closer in. That's what evangelism is. And Tim Keller said, it's about being bold enough to have difficult conversations and sensitive in our interactions with others. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 through 21. So when we say, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is the will of the Lord. I, like I was telling you last week, what his kingdom is characterized by shalom, which is peace, but it's not just an absence of conflict, it's fullness, it's completeness. It's what he's created us for. Nothing lacking is another way that the Bible says it. And this is what he created us for. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of, say it with me, reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who... Uh, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's some goals for ourselves, and this is, let's, let's do this like corporately, okay, but uh, individually. Is God speaking to your heart this morning? Is God, God drawing you to himself? I mean, sometimes when we come to church, we come to church hoping that God will comfort us, But sometimes when we come to church, God wants to do more than comfort us. He wants to point us out. It's easy to get way too inwardly focused. And like Rodney was saying, man, you got hot water. You know, like you're way ahead of most of the world, you know. So I I know that we all have problems and God really wants to, he does care about those problems. But he wants us to also take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on the place that he has his eyes on. And that's the least of these and that's to, to others. So let's make it our goal 
to have more courage. And let me say specifically to be willing to have difficult conversations. And let me also suggest we start in this house. Can we do that? Can we start? Can we do that? Can we give ourselves permission to have difficult conversations? Number one, that when somebody brings something up to you that maybe you didn't want to hear or you don't want to hear, that you don't think it's something unusual. You think, you, you say, this is the way we do things. I have something to say, and I want to be able to say it to my brothers and sisters in the Lord first. If I'm afraid to talk to you guys, man, I'm not going to talk to somebody else. If I'm already, you know, verklempt in myself, I have nothing to share. I'll be, I'll be completely intimidated when it comes to actually talking about my faith and my beliefs and my passion with somebody who is not on the same page with me. So let's, let's make, a, make a, a commitment to have those difficult conversations. Listen, there are people around you that are dying to be able to talk to somebody about the things that they're really concerned about. And we're all up here. And we never make time, and we never make friends. You're gonna have, if you're going to do this, you have to have a deep enough relationship to bear the weight of honesty. You have to have a deep enough relationship to bear the weight of honesty. Are you with me? And you build these relationships when you don't need them. You build them because you know it's right to do that. Community a lot of times it's having boring conversations with people, but you do it because you're in community. Community sometimes is getting your toes stepped on, but you're glad to have your toes stepped on because you're a part of a family, because you belong somewhere. God has made us for this. And the devil has been so good at fracturing people and dividing people. Let's don't do that. Let's be brave enough to have the difficult conversations. And when I say difficult conversations, I'm not talking about judgment conversations. I'm not talking about coming down on people conversations. I'm talking about being honest with people and how difficult that is sometimes to just actually say it to the person. We can talk to anybody else about it, but to the person. Can we just say, I am committed to, being, to have, have courage God, give us courage to have these difficult conversations. Man, you look at the life of Jesus. I mean, he knew how to shuck it right down to the cob, didn't he? Is that an expression, Rodney? Shuck it right down to the cob? Jesus knew how to have those conversations with people that cut straight to the, to the honest heart of where they were. And he wants us to have enough courage Thy kingdom come, have enough courage to be an instrument of that kingdom coming. The next one is to be more genuine, have more genuine compassion, to care for the least of these, to actually expose ourselves. I was having a conversation with somebody this, this past week um, that God's given, given me the, the privilege of being able to minister to um, who's going through some profound grief. And we talked about that, and we also talked about, you know, our, our city, our community, and stuff like that. And I was telling them about um, being involved in um, a, a group that is uh, addressing racial issues, racial, racial reconciliation. She said, is there a race problem in Tyler? Is there? And it's not just a race problem. There's a lot of different problems in Tyler that have a lot to do with being able to make friends across the lines. And she asked me a question. She said, is there a race problem in Tyler? And I said, how many, and this is not the defining, <laughs> the defining aspect of addressing the issue, but I said, how many African-American friends do you have? She said she had like two. She's got two African-American friends in her life, and that's the reason why she's asking the question, is there a race problem? And probably not having any kind of deep conversations about their life and, and the way that they see things and, and their experience of living in this same city that I'm living in. 
So when I'm talking about compassion, I'm talking about genuine compassion that reaches in to a person's life, that, that makes yourself available to a person, that, that, is, uh, that is sensitive to where they actually are. We're going to talk in a minute about, um, about uh, crisis pregnancy and, and the work that um, Doreen and them are doing. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was ministering to somebody, and uh, she was talking about how, what a terrible person she was. And I'm like, okay, so, like, what have you done that's so terrible? You mean, have you, like, have you killed anybody? And she said yes. She had had an abortion. Now, it's an issue, it's a political issue, but it's a devastating personal experience when it actually happens to you. A life is lost, but another life can also be lost as well, and usually many times is. And finally is to move in closer. One of the key things about touching people's lives is just being close, being around people. It's the person that you work next to. It's the family that you live next to. Um, it's the, you know, the, the people that you do business with just to move in closer and, and in, in a conscious way to expose yourself to more than where you are right now. And I'll make one suggestion, and then we'll hear from Darlene, um, uh, Doreen. Um, we, you have to have some margin in your life, you know? You have to have some extra time in your life in order to take time with people. So that should be, if we're going uh, to touch more lives, that's one thing that we're going to have to do. And I'm not talking about a radical change. I'm just talking about a mindset change, that I do have time to talk. I do have time to spend time with people. All right. I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Doreen Haig to come. Give, just give her a good welcome as she comes. Don't feel bad. I called Darlene Doreen, and I called That's Doreen. That's normal, Doreen. right, Darlene? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so um, okay, it's just two. There we go. So uh, Doreen's uh, title is uh, Director of uh, Living Alternatives uh, Pregnancy uh, Resource um, Center. So. Um, what, what is it that you do, Doreen? My job there, of course, you know, is to manage and see that we have enough volunteers and keep everything running. But I get to do lots of counseling, which is my favorite. Um, what we are there for is uh, to give free pregnancy tests. And uh, we have a paper that uh, the girls use for their insurance companies that they need. And so we do that free, which we're the only one in Tyler that gives a proof of pregnancy free. I mean, the, most of them cost like $50 wherever you go. So if you know anybody that needs one, we've got them. We also do free ultrasounds for the girls, and um, that's major. Uh, not all of the girls are abortion-minded that come in to us, but we still have a chance to pray with them to um, share the Lord with them. And there's very few girls that get out without being prayed for. And I'm always amazed at how you can be talking with a girl and sharing the Lord, and you pray, and the power of the Lord comes down. I would say 90% of the time, girls cry. And it's just the Holy Spirit. And then after the prayer, you can even talk more. And it was like you were sharing, evangelism isn't always leading them to the Lord. We sow a lot of seeds. Sure. But um, yeah, so it's a fun place to be. If any of you want to volunteer, if any of you ladies would like to volunteer, we always have room for you. But it is—it's wonderful. I get more of a blessing out of it than the girls, I'm sure, just seeing the Lord move. And I could tell you stories all night. <laughs> um, so, uh, how did you get involved in this work? Um, Keith and I were married about four years when we had our first child, and um, I really wanted a baby, and I just didn't get pregnant. And we delivered our first baby January 6 of 1973. Three weeks later, Roe versus Wade was brought into law, and I was devastated. I remember praying even to this day, like 46 years ago, 
and the Holy Spirit just revealing to me that millions of demons were released on children. And I am, I love children. I love babies. And um, so I always, of course, as pregnancy centers became um, alive, <laughs> um, and of course we were with Youth with a Mission at the time, and then Bev Klein started one, so I jumped on board there. That's okay. kind of how I got involved. Um, uh, why do women come? Uh, you pretty much answered this. Yeah. Why women come to the center? Yeah. So they come for pregnancy tests, mm -hmm. um, for ultrasound, yeah. uh, and some of them are actually coming because it's a ministry and they're in a crisis situation and they need yes. they need ministry. Um, the ones that come to us that are abortion minded, a lot of times they lie and tell us they're not. Um, but usually, if you can really connect and and they sense, you know what? When they sense that you love and care about them. You can almost say anything to them, just in kindness and love, and they'll accept it. And um, because we do the free uh, proof of pregnancy and the free ultrasounds, they can actually take the ultrasounds to the abortion clinic within 48 hours and use that as opposed to one that they have to pay for at the abortion clinic. And I'd say 90% of the girls that come with that intention change their mind when they see their babies. It's amazing just seeing them cry and cry. That's my baby, you know. Um, God just really, it's an amazing tool that God's used. Yeah. So I get to talk to Doreen fairly regularly, um, and I am always blown away whenever I talk to her because she has so many stories of current things that have been going on girls that she's prayed for, every single time she prays for somebody or she ministers to somebody and they make a decision for life, that is worthy of a congressional medal as far mm, as I'm concerned. Thank you. It's, and it's Jesus. <laughs> it's like you can't get enough. Mm, thank you. So I've asked her today, because I get to hear you know, these stories all the time, and some of you may not have heard any, to share two stories with us today okay. um, that stands out to her. One uh, would be a, a real success story. One that when she thinks about what she's doing and she sees that, she's like, man, that was an amazing mm -hmm. success story. And the other I want her to share with us is a heartbreaking story, one that didn't turn out okay. well. And let's Can start with the sad one. Yeah, let's start with that one. Let's start with the sad one. It's been a number of years ago. A lady came in. We were just ready to close. And this lady came rushing in the door. She was crying. She was probably 45, 50-ish. Behind her came a girl smiling. Behind her came an older girl crying also. I found out that the girl, um, the girl that was smiling was, had some real mental issues and she had been raped by a neighbor man and her mother had just found out. Um, to make a long story short, the um, investigators and police wanted DNA to prove it because they said the guy was gonna take off. And um, that meant an abortion because it was, they do some through the amniotic fluid, but it's not real. Um, reliable. Reliable, yeah. So anyway, Julie did an ultrasound on her, and we saw this precious baby of 17 weeks old, just 17 weeks, and we could tell it was a little boy, and he was moving around. The mother was crying even more, and Julie and I thought, good, maybe she's not thinking of an abortion now, because she was wanting that. Um, so after the ultrasound I spent quite a bit of time with the mom and she sat there and cried but was determined to have an abortion and that was the hardest when they left they did have an abortion but Julie and I just cried and just prayed for that precious baby you know when you see a child and you know it's not going to make it it's really hard and you know it's not necessary for that child to have his life gone um, I tried to reach out to them even after but they didn't want any they didn't, you know, it was just too hard. And um, anyway, that's the hardest one. Now, I'll tell you. Um, can I tell two if I'm real sure. quick? Okay. <laughs> I want to tell you about this one because this is just a couple months ago. In fact, I was sharing it with Dave. He liked it. So <laughs> anyway, um, we had this girl come in that was abortion-minded, this lady. And we were talking away, and I was looking over her, her file, and I asked why she wanted an abortion. And she told me, and... And um, I noticed she didn't have any religious preference. So I started, you know, just asking her. And she said, well, I went to the Catholic Church, but I couldn't understand a word it was said because 
um, it was all in Spanish. I went with my dad, and he's Spanish, so I didn't get anything out of it. And so anyway, she really had no understanding. And I said, have you ever heard of the plan of salvation? And she said, no. And so I just spent the next, I don't know, 20 minutes sharing about Jesus and his love for her and his care for her. And um, she was just like drinking it in. And I said, would you like to accept Jesus? And she said, yes, I would. And I prayed with her, and she was just overjoyed. She came in the next day for an ultrasound. But you know what's neat? We never mentioned abortion after we start talking about Jesus because she was a new life. You know, she had totally given her heart to the Lord. And um, anyway, she's doing great. And what's really neat about this story, because I don't have time to follow up on all my girls, but there was a lady from work, from her job, that is now discipling her. And she had just started taking her wow. in when I let her. Anyway, that's a neat story. Also, another neat story. You are all familiar with Paul and Monica Allen, or some of you would be. We support them. Well, there was a little girl named Jessica that came into our office one day. And she was sitting there, and oh, she was devastated, wanting an abortion. She already had two children. Um, the father of those two were in prison. She was devastated, couldn't take care of herself, and so she had gone the wrong way with another guy because he brought her diapers and gave her a bit of money, and she became pregnant, and she didn't want this baby. And so she was really firm on having an abortion. And I remember just, I'll never forget her sitting on that chair just seeing a totally helpless, lonely girl. She didn't know anybody in the area. So I took her home that day. She didn't have a car. And we started talking and interacting, and, and she totally changed her mind. She didn't want to, you know, of course, I helped her with resources and stuff. So she changed her mind. And then she started talking about adoption. And um, meanwhile, I, um, Paul Allen and my, our, one of our sons, Jason, they were best friends all through school. Paul is a missionary that we support. Yeah. Uh, and his brother, um, Philip. Philip, yeah. that's in uh, Nicaragua. Nicaragua. But anyway, to make a long story short, I had run into his mom, and she had uh, told me that Paul had, um, they were unable to have children, and immediately Jessica came in my mind, and I thought, oh, that'd be perfect. And meanwhile, adoption agency, Carol had given her like eight other um, forms, or they're actually books of people that wanted to adopt, and she said, Torin, I, they're just not the right one. I know they're not the right one. And so I said to uh, Paul and Monica, hurry and get your book in so she can see it. <laughs> so they did. And the next time I met with Jessica, it was 10, day to, 10 days after she'd gotten this book. And it was totally worn out. I mean, she had worn it out. I couldn't believe it. And <laughs> she knew everything about them and ages of their family and the names and where everybody lived. And she said, they are the, they are the family. I know they are. So that's one of the real joys. Um, and I know you guys know them. So most of you do. That, that's one of the... Highlights of Amen. being part of the ministry. Okay, so there was something that she said. I don't know if you caught that. That's like key to the whole thing. She said, I took her home with me. Mm. <laughs> and you know, she's not even thinking anything about that. But that's the willingness to be able to do that mm -hmm. may have made the difference, all mm -hmm. the difference in the world. Yeah. There, she's not just doing it for a job, not just doing it at work, but she's taking her into her mm -hmm. home, own home with her. She just needs someone to love and care yeah. for. That's yeah. the way a lot of these girls are. So. And also supplied resources and all of yeah. that. Some yeah. of that is stuff that's available. And then, yes, we could. Yeah. We have a lot of resources yeah. available. No, yeah. and, and that's how we are, too. You know, we don't have a lot of resources ourselves, but we know how you to know get them. You know how to get them. That's, that's right. the important thing. Um, and that's yeah. key. That's, that's as, as good as having it ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so how can we be, um, like, I, I think a lot of times when we think about crisis pregnancy and abortion, um, a lot of people associate the, the activity of the church concerning these issues with protesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But there are other things, obviously, what you're doing. What are some things that we can do to address um, the needs of uh, women who find themselves in a crisis pregnancy? Well, you can always join me. <laughs> Ser seriously. Uh, yeah, so yeah, there, because this is we, the, we always have uh, what we do is. Um, there's a website up there. Uh, I think it's. And they have a Facebook page. If you'll, yeah. if you'll um, go on Facebook and search for the Pregnancy Resource Center, um, you can find more yeah. information there, and it'll point you to the website. Yeah. We usually have the volunteers we have work like four hours a week usually. So okay. anyway. Yeah. Well, we right now are involved with 40 Days for Life. It goes from March 6th to April um, 14th. And what we're doing is we're joining, oh, there's the whole of Tyler, 
and uh, we are going um, meeting at the new Planned Parenthood office, which is over on Turtle Creek behind the medical buildings. And they're actually praying, and it, it's not like we're holding signs or anything. You can bring a chair if you want to sit. It's, there, there's an open field across from a Planned Parenthood, and um, we are going to be just praying from 7 to 7. I mean, you can fill in which hour you would like, and um, just praying um, that God would shut it down, you guys. They are going, they are planning on being the hub for this whole area in between um, Shreveport and Dallas for chemical abortions, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but what it is is the girl is pregnant. She goes in. She can be under 12 weeks. They give her one pill, and it actually kills the baby. The next pill she goes in about two days later um, causes her to go into labor, and then she goes in again to just make sure everything is okay. Um, they say 20% of chemical abortions do not work, which would end up in a surgical abortion. So we need to get really pray this out, you guys. Really pray this uh, Planned Parenthood out. And um, I'm real excited about this. There's, um, you can sign up. I've got a whole bunch of these flyers back there, um, 40 Days for Life. And you can sign up from 7 to, like, they're hour slots. So you don't have to stay 12 hours. But maybe if you're like me, you're an early morning person, you like 7 to 8. Or maybe you're an evening person that you'd like 7, I mean, 6 to 7 in the evening. But I really encourage it. We, we, we've got to get a hold of this and see this conquered. So. Yeah. Um, and there's a meeting this week. In, oh, yes, this Church. week at the Catholic Church at 7 o'clock on Tuesday. It's a kickoff meeting. Thanks. So David was able to go to the first meeting, uh, and he was just blown away by it. He said it was really awesome. The ability to join together with people, all different denominations and backgrounds, mm -hmm. uh, and we're not there to confront. Right. They're not there to confront. They're there to pray. Right. And that's the, like we were, when we talked about that kingdom come, that's where it all starts, mm -hmm. you know, is, you know, mm -hmm. in the heavenlies. Um, so, yeah, Amen. so we, that's, that's a good yeah. way for anybody to be involved. And they've also contacted the police department so that they can make sure everything is okay. Good. So. Okay. Thanks, Dwayne. Thank you. All right, let me just uh, close with this. Uh, this is... Um, from the message, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 uh, and 8. And it says, everything in this world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Uh, most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Let's stand together today. Let's open your heart up to the Lord for just a second here. Point us where you will, Lord. Call us where you will. Lord, I just pray just an extra measure of courage uh, in your people. Uh, the willingness, Lord Jesus, to overcome our own uh, uh, inwardness, our own uh, reluctance, to the, the, uh, the ability to overcome our own fear, self-consciousness, to really care for somebody that's right next to us. Thank you, Lord. Even in this small congregation, this, there's literally thousands of people that we all have access to in our lives. So just say, Lord, send me. Send me. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, Lord, in my life and in those around me, Lord. Let your will be done, Lord, as you send me like you sent Ezekiel. Oh, God, we live in a, in a dry a dry culture. We live in a superficial culture. Meanwhile, people are drying up on the inside and dying. They're, they're uh, desperate, Lord, for answers, for love. Send us, Lord Jesus, into our communities. I pray for the work that Doreen does, Lord. I just pray that you would bless them and increase them. I know that there are days, Lord Jesus, that they look at what they're doing and they just feel overwhelmed. I pray for them, Lord Jesus, just an extra measure of encouragement, that extra breath that you breathed into uh, those dry bones. Breathe this into this organization. 
up and increase their reach. We just thank you for that. Amen. God bless you. And you're